0: Tuesday morning, what are we, the 11th of July. It's three minutes past 10 o'clock. Smithy is a bit crook, so Louis here filling in at the control panel today. I've got Joe with me as well. We'll do our best, and we thought just because Smithy's not here doesn't mean we need to talk a huge amount of cricket. We'll do it in his honour. I'm sure he'll be happy with that. The Ashes, oh boy, oh boy, the Ashes, they're alive. They are alive and well, and they're starting to get dangerously close to being valid to compare them to the 2005 edition of it. I mean, seriously, we've got bears at the helm of England, resilience, fighting, made some shrewd selection changes, and all of a sudden, Pat Cummins is coming across that cocky, arrogant Australian nature almost seemed a little bit sassy when he said that there was no momentum lost just because they might be down. Wow, the best spinner they've got, and... I think they are down a little bit of momentum as well. So Pat's arched the back. There's a brilliant series going on. And then a news dump this morning on Tuesday morning, Gary Stead re-signs for two more years. And a second contract extension for Gary Stead, who's taken us through really an unprecedented amount of success for the Black Gaps, if you consider, and you rate that World Test Championship triumph, being able to hoist the mace into the air for the very first time. Yes, he took on a team that was well-established by Mike Hessen and Brendan McCullum, but his uh, level of stability and cohesion that he's been able to keep across three formats has been pretty impressive. So there is so much to talk about, and we're going to do it all with Matt Hunter coming up right now. Now, if you don't know who Matt that is, that's fine. You can go to Cricket Maximum, Maximum Cricket on Twitter, on TikTok. That's where I first came across him uh, on all of the different channels, and I don't really think i've come across a a neutral that has been across the ashes as much as matt has so it's a a warm welcome to scnz for the first time matt how you doing
1: yeah real uh really excited to be on here i really appreciate uh the thought um yes trying to cover the ashes as much as i can i haven't slept a lot over the last few weeks but it's pretty exciting when you get to watch your two older brothers fight it out um, and there's been a lot of squabbling between two camps you've also got as you said you've got bears in one camp you've also got Tory in the other camp which is another wee uh, nugget for us Kiwis so um, it's exciting times and it's starting to head down that 2005 route for sure
0: so Matt I thought it would be fun with you today to do the the top three storylines from a neutral observer and we obviously we're going to put the well we could have just leaped straight to Johnny Beerstone and, and the biggest controversy since Sandpaper Gate probably but I thought we'd leave that because I watched a lot of your content and you really do actually care about the cricket and the the smaller dynamics of matchups of team selections of uh, characteristics and statistics as well so I thought it would be a good chance to actually look at the series in a little bit of a deeper fashion but just give people a bit of an insight when did you get into cricket at this level and how long have you been making your own content for? Because you know it's it's not an easy thing to do to churn out content on a daily, especially if you want to stay consistent and and start to get into the right part of those algorithms. If you if you would have worked out, no doubt.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, there's a bit, a bit of work going into it. Like obviously, uh, like most, you know, I played I played cricket growing up, and I got uh, got to a club level and realised that I wasn't that great, to be fair. But I was able to play with it. So I sort of got a little bit of an understanding of what that high level was like to a to a, a surface level and then I've done a little bit of coaching in the, in the background as such but um, I guess it was ever since COVID sort of sort of dropped um, just bored twiddling my thumbs at home and started watching old matches and then it all just started to unfold and you start to get a couple of likes here and there and then, then suddenly you're away and Next thing you know, you've got a podcast and that sort of stuff. So things things start to unravel pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, or or it's an excuse to watch more cricket. I don't know. I mean, you have to ask why, <laughs> I suppose, but... Um.
0: Yeah. As soon as you start disguising your uh, habits and your hobbies as work, you can kinda of get away with a little bit more. So it's very well played, mate. That's it's a good <laughs> little bit of innovation there yourself. So as I say, we we've got to do the, the ashes and we will, but I mean you're a you're a punter and you've you've watched this black caps team or oh, as close to probably as anyone over the last wee while what was your gut reaction when you heard that Gary Stead's coming back for two more years and they're not splitting that role?
1: Yeah, honestly, I was, I was a bit shocked um, when I just I read it just before we came on. It did feel like it was an end of an era. You know, you had Larson um, stepping down. You had David White stepping down. And although, you know, the team ha- hadn't been performing as of late, I think Gary said has copped a lot of criticism. You still can't deny that, that initial stage when he took over in 2018 to the culmination of the World Test Championship final that was sort of the peak of New Zealand cricket right there. It's fair to say there's been a slight decline. And a lot of that is players moving on and players getting older. Um, but I did think that they were – I was kind of hoping they would move into a different direction, maybe split the roles up. Um, I think I'm, I think I heard you before, you, you were talking about how players don't normally play all formats, so why should coaches? So I thought that was a bit strange, but I guess – if the right guy is not out there, it's not like we can just go pinch ba- uh, Baz McCullum back or, you know, Stephen Fleming's on the big bucks in the IPL. It's, it's, it's not easy to, to attract those big names. So potentially just having like a, you know, excuse the pun like a steady influence might be the best bet until someone better comes along.
0: It's all right. I'm keeping track of the amount of steady puns across all major news networks today. And um, so I'm running – I've done three. You've done one. So that's four so far. I'm running a tally. I, I just – we had a caller that came in straight away, Matt, and he, he made the point, you know, who else did they interview? And I read the press release. So I haven't had time to listen to the press conference. It's still going on at Lincoln at the 2nd. You know, they they spoke about they did an exhaustive process of working out what the best way forward was, and whether splitting it wasn't. And, and this is clearly the preferred uh, preferred option moving forward. But they didn't really speak about other candidates. So, is it a marriage of convenience as much and stability as it is a marriage of what they truly desire?
1: Yeah, we, I mean, you'd hope that they did their due diligence. But I guess they're not also going to say, oh, we couldn't find anyone else better, so we just went with Gary Stead. Like, that's probably not the best way to sell it to the public. But, um, yeah, I would hope they did their due diligence and started to look elsewhere. Um, I, I do think it's hard to attract decent coaches to New Zealand just with the, like, you're asking, you're asking guys to spend, you know, months away from their families and we don't pay anywhere near what the big guns play. Like, you now, we, we talk about obviously Trent Bolts going to the – getting paid by the IPL. Like, coaches are the same. Like, Stephen mm. Fleming, Mike Hessen, they're, they're only asked to coach for certain periods of time of the year, and they're getting paid a whole lot more. They can spend a lot more time with their uh, families. And I, I do think it's hard to attract um, – the, the bigger names, but you know, I thought I thought someone like a Peter Fulton from Canterbury might might have been a shout. Maybe it's a bit early. Um, he seems to be doing some good things um, for Canterbury. So, um, yeah, I guess watch the space.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point, and I suppose the more you think about it, you think about the most successful times in New Zealand cricket, and the the coaches that have. Uh, done the best. Well, they're all homegrown. A lot a lot of them, former players up until who played for the Black Caps or New Zealand cricket, uh, I should say. And then, obviously, in very recent times, Hest and Gary Stead both come through pathways. Um, it, it's not a high-paying job to be a domestic head coach, and we do get a lot of our talent that heads overseas. And some of the coaches that have been touted, I mean, we just had – Rob, oh, why, why can't I remember his last name? He's gone over to look after the the um, South African uh, white ball oh, setup. Rob, Rob, Walter. Rob Walter. Rob Walter. So, you know, yeah. um, Heinrich Milan, um, yeah, a guy I always had a lot of time for down there in Wellington, uh, Mr. Pocknell. So, I just think we do usually seem to be able to grow our next coach in house, but. It's at the same time, the game's never been more global. The money's never been more lucrative offshore. Is it going to be harder to retain that top talent? And as you said, it's really hard to appeal to get overseas talent back to New Zealand. So, look, I don't think Gary Stead resigning a contract's a bad move by any stretch, but I wonder over the next day or so, you're going to hear from a lot of New Zealand cricket fans that w- that probably would admit that maybe it wasn't their first choice if you could have had all options on the table.
1: No, I think if, if if it was if it was me, I would I would have loved to try and get Stephen Fleming. I think he's got a fabulous track record as, as a head coach, and all, all you only hear good things about him in the IPL. There's a lot of uh, great players that say he's the best coach they've ever worked under. When he was captain for New Zealand, he was famously one of the best minds. Like Shane Warne, obviously, like talked about him highly. Um, but that was only going to happen if they split up the role. So I wonder if that didn't happen like a, so I do wonder if why they decided not to split up the roles, that'd be something I'd be interested to hear.
0: Yep. And I'm, I'm sure we will over the next wee while as say so that press conference going on right now. OK, what well, we had you on to do initially, and we'll, we'll, uh, I'm hoping we can we can speak a wee bit over the next wee while, Matt, because I do love your work. I'm, I'm curious from somebody who's watched a hell of a lot of The Ashes and doesn't have a dog in the fight as it was. What are your big three storylines? Not Johnny Bairstow and not Alex Geary's haircut. So what are your big three storylines? Where do you want to start?
1: yeah yeah we talked we talked uh, yesterday about storylines and I ran I it off fifteen of you like straight off the bat and i think we, we narrowed it down to, to cricket related stuff which is which is good because the drama of the ashes is starting to unravel pretty quickly when we're talking about haircuts and stuff so um, we'll keep it cricket related so I, I think I think the big one for me at the moment is the conditions the actual pitch conditions um, you know ever since you know twenty one years it's been since australia have been England at home, and a lot of that's been on green seeming wickets. Anderson and Broad on repeat. Australia's, they have a history with moving ball. It appeared to change as baseball took over. Stokes asked for the flat wickets so they could baseball that Australian seam attack, which is, which is great, and, and it worked initially. You know, England, they made 400 on that first day. However, I felt like the issue was it was taking a big toll on the older bowlers. Anderson only had three wickets in that first two games, almost as if they were trying to make Zach Crawley's life easier while making their greatest mm-hmm. seamers ever, like, life harder. Um, this kind of allowed Australia to, like, grind their attack down over the first two tests, but that changed at Headingley. Um, obviously, Mark Wood came in, Wokes came in, but the the pitch had a lot more pace and a lot more bounce, a lot more swing seam, and then, you know, Broads knocking over Warner again. Like, things are starting to feel normal. Wokes and Wood taking 13 wickets each, I'm very interested to see what the conditions look like at Manchester. Do England go back to the slow wickets or do they start to realise this is the formula, we need to start nicking off some some batters?
0: Yeah, okay, great point. And I assume then you're going to at some stage touch on that means England have to be able to trust their top order and their middle order and it can't just be foot to the floor trying to flat bat baseball shot. Uh, half trackers back down the the wicket there has to be some sort of cricket played that l- resembles what Test cricket has looked like for the the last hundred and something years
1: yeah well that's that's what it kind of started with like it wasn't it wasn't complete um foot to the floor as you said from the get go when they sort of uh beat us three 0 um from the get go there was some like Baseball for me was always just clarity of thought and it was it was taking that positive option but it was it was not sort of deciding I'm going to go for it from ball one, like no matter what. It was um and I just feel like that's what they did uh batting wise in the header league test. Like they still scored pretty freely. I think they, you know, knocked over two fifty and, and inside fifty overs, you know. But there's just a bit more thought process about it. It's not just I'm going to hit every ball for six. It, there's, um, there's thought process uh, behind it. So, um ball still, still works in the same conditions,
0: and it did. Enough. It just brings your bowlers into the game. So, what did you make of Harry Brooke then? Who, who, for me, has been a bit of a phenomenon, but it looked like he finally found the right mixture in that last innings.
1: Yeah, I thought that that was one of his best innings, if not his best innings in an England shirt. When you take into account the bowling attack, the pressure, the fourth innings run chase, like I know he he had uh, a pretty big hundred in New Zealand, um, but I think the attacks are a different sort of kettle of fish. So I think um, that was a per- that was that perfect blend of a- of attack and defence. Like he's still he's still putting the pressure on the bowlers. Like they know if they if they miss. He's putting he's putting the bowlers away, but it's still you've got to be able to keep out good balls. You got to leave the right ones. You got to actually defend. If you try and hit everything, you're going one of them's gonna get you uh, have your name on it eventually. So I thought, you know, I thought he showed
0: right there like how good he can be. And does that tie into another one of your storylines at all?
1: Um, I guess yeah, it does definitely with. Um, I've got here is just sort of moving forward for England. Like, who, who actually bats uh, three? Um, mm. Obviously, with Ollie Pope having that shoulder injury, that's ruled him out of the series. They did... England originally turned to Harry Brook at number three, and then in the second innings, they the odd decision to promote Moan Ali to three which apparently he just asked to bat three, which as a former club cricketer, it's nice to know that guy <laughs> asked a bet higher at test level as well. That's, that's nice to see. Normally you get shut down at the club level. So nice um, to see Bez uh, sort of helping Moan out. But, you know, the jury's out on Moan at three. Um, but I guess Brooke having to bet at five, he looked far more comfortable. I think we obviously talked about how he's going to how well he batted Um but, I, yeah, it'd be interesting to see who bats three. Like, does Mullen continue to bat three or do they shuffle that order around? Because I guess, you know, there's a lot of talk about folks. Does he come in because you've got Besto can't catch a cold at the moment? Um, so that's going to be interesting to see. Does yeah, folks come in, Beersto go to three or do they keep going with Mullen at three? So that's, that's an interesting um, storyline for me.
0: Well, he only plays fi- he only faced 15 balls, but I can tell you there was not one of them which I where I thought, oh, yeah, Moe Nelly's going to ha- put a score up here. I just thought he didn't look quite comfortable out there and he hasn't played enough of that cricket. And I think, more importantly, Mitch Stark and the Australian attack got their back up that he came out. And I just don't know if that's necessarily the best way to go about it. But, you know, good on him for wanting to do it. I don't think that's the answer moving forward. And I wonder if now Joe Root, Feels more comfortable batting three, knowing that you know Ben Duckett's been scoring some runs. Zach Crawley scored forty four and, and got his feet underneath him. Maybe he feels like he's got a little bit more protection.
1: Yeah, that's a good shout. I think that's probably the way to go. I think I read somewhere where um, Crawley and Duckett they've had got their high, highest average, a uh, highest opening partnership on average since about like Triscothic Strauss days. So I think you're right um, where. You know, number three isn't walking in as soon as they once were. Um, yeah, Joe Root and Stokes seem to be the ones that don't move around, and everyone moves around around them. So, but I think you're right. I think he's got the most skills to bet at three. Um, and I think if you, your sole reason of, of Mo and Ali betting at three is so Brock bets at five, that's probably not the right reasoning. But you know, um, it, it apparently works. So,
0: right. What's your last storyline for the last? two tests here, which will be very deciding. What's the last thing that you're really watching closely here?
1: Um, I think,
0: I think can Australia actually overcome
1: losing Lyon? Um, Mm -hmm. It's starting to feel a little bit down the lines of Glenn McGrath, 2005, like missing him. Does that turn around the series? Because there was a lot of talk before the series about England targeting Lyon. They've pretty much demolished every other spinner in baseball, just us, you know, Michael Bracewell. Um, But Lyon, he was probably the best bowler out of either side in that first two tests. Like, he had nine wickets in the first three innings. He bowled. He bowled at an average of 22 overs per innings, while Todd Murphy, he only bowled 10 overs in the entire third test. Like, granted, like we talked about, it's a bit more semi-friendly conditions, but... You know, there's no doubt Cummins goes to Murphy. Uh, so Cummins goes to Lyon a little more earlier than he does with Todd Murphy. Um, like he allows to control the innings, control the run rate. Um, yeah, he he sort of Lyon sort of just controls things a little bit more. So I think if if Australia can't get Murphy into the series, that's going to leave them a bowler short, and that's going to put more pressure on Cummins and Stark. And obviously, bowling's not doing too well. So I'm quite interested to see how Cummins uses Murphy going forward, because Old Trafford is like famously a spinners sort of deck, so that would be interesting.
0: Yeah, it is, and I think half of the point of it is Steve Smith and Marnus Labashain need to score runs because Australia need to have scores to defend for Cummins to trust Murphy. If they're defending 250, he won't because he'll be too concerned that they'll just take to him. And and I think that's the fair factor alone that Baz Ball, whatever Baz Ball is, brings. And uh, especially now that they've lost that buffer, what do you think? I mean, are you backing England if, if it is seeming enough and they have to use Murphy Australia? Are you backing England to be able to even the series and give us a decider, which would be every cricket fan's, uh, and you know, it's like that's all you've really wanted, right? The ashes to go to the fifth test.
1: Well, as a neutral, that that's what we want, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because I think like Cummins was pretty short and sharp when he said the momentum hasn't swung, but it's it's hard to see how it how it doesn't a little bit. Um yeah. You know, England England haven't played that well throughout the test. You know, they've dropped all these catches. They have made a lot of mistakes, but they have been. they've had chances to win all three tests. And I think, you know, Australia have been incredible and this is an all-time side, you know, a couple of all-time sides going at it. So there's no doubt this next test is going to be very close. Um, I think we all, the heart wants a fifth fifth test. Um, But I think if if England can win at the fourth test, I mean, they can't deny the momentum then. Like England's going to be going absolutely nuts at the Oval for the fifth test. So, you know, hopefully we get there.
0: And I just hope Steve Smith, we get uh, released footage at some stage of Steve Smith smashing up changing rooms. That's all I want. And I I am happy for him to be sent off again if it creates that sort of vision that eventually gets leaked or some Amazon Prime documentary. I think they do have cameras following them around. So we'd love to see that. Uh, Maximum Cricket Twitter, you've got a TikTok. I don't know what else you've got, but people can go and find you anywhere. Really appreciate your time, Matt. That was awesome. No worries. Thanks, Louis. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Maximum cricket there. Matt Hunter, uh, fantastic. Follows cricket as close to anyone I know and that I've seen covering the Ashes. So some really detailed thoughts there. What do you, we make of it? Double eight, double three. Oh, 800 oh, 811 Can you see England getting another one? And has the momentum actually swung? I think Pat Cummins is maybe over underplaying his hand there a wee bit. I think it has to have swung just a little bit. It is 24 minutes past 10.